everyone. Welcome to this bonus episode of All My Relations. Uh, Matikan and I felt like with some of the stuff that was going on in the world this week around Notre Dame and all of the indigenous response to the burning of the cathedral, that we would take the opportunity to kind of jump in and have a quick conversation with one another about what was going on. If you like these short formats, we might be doing some more of it. But until then, we'll have a new episode next week. All my relations. Hello, friends and relatives. Today we begin our episode, Sacred is Sacred, with love and condolences to our relatives in Paris. In fact, that is why we are here today. We wanted to discuss Notre Dame and the outcry of public support and then also the response from our indigenous community and other POC allies in the aftermath of the fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've been shocked by some of the things that I've been reading on social media and uh, I'm also shocked that 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 fire happened and it brought up a, a whirlwind of of thoughts and images, really. I think of like the images of of standing rock burning, or the images of the old man house burning, and and sacred things in general burning. And it and it kind of has been a triggering moment for me. How how about you, Adrian? Well, I think that you and I have had slightly different responses to things. Like I've been, I was sad. I guess it. The burning of Notre Dame. I think that uh, there's a, a lot of important artwork and there's something to be said for um, the cultural space that the cathedral holds. But I was not, I didn't find a lot of the responses um, super problematic. I mean, I think I saw, I understood where they were coming from and I understood why there was so much anger and outcry from indigenous communities and other uh, communities of color around this particular moment. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can just take a moment to discuss some of those opinions. Um, And I pulled up some different social media posts from some friends uh, and some different opinions from different uh, media outlets Would you like to begin, Adrian, by sort of reading or echoing what some of those things say? Sure. So uh, Deb Parker, who um, is someone that we both know and respect very deeply, said on Facebook, um, and it looks like it may be a quote from someone else, um, said, quote, if two men in a world of more than 7 billion people can provide 300 million pounds to restore Notre Dame within six hours, then there is enough money in the world to feed every mouth, shelter every family and educate every child. The failure to do so is a matter of will and a matter of system. Mm. What do you think about that? I mean, I think it's true. (laughs) I also think that the Catholic Church is one of the wealthiest organizations on the planet and the Vatican holds vast, vast amounts of wealth. And so the fact that folks are pledging money to them um, feels uncomfortable to me. I also think about how much atrocity has been inflicted on our communities by Christianity and by the Catholic Church in particular. But I also do know that uh, there are a lot of folks in our communities who are deeply Catholic or are deeply Christian and that those uh, 
systems of faith really provide comfort and support and foundation in their lives. And I recognize that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I saw this post from Dallas, but it's from Arash Sufi. And it says, yes, it is tragic that a church that took 200 years to build on the backs of poor folk burnt down today in Paris. But Eurocentrism is when you scroll past an ancient mosque in Palestine being demolished, but cry cheers when something happens in Europe. Just last week, Israel converted a historic mosque older than Notre Dame into a bar. In the past few weeks, we have witnessed the burning of historic black churches, and we have seen sacred indigenous lands destroyed for pipelines, not to mention the history of the Catholic Church and the atrocities it has been behind in Latin America, Middle East, Asia, and Africa. I have sympathy when it comes to European tragedies, but sometimes struggle with empathy. Part of my decolonization process is removing the Eurocentric lenses in which I once viewed the world. Okay. I saw a lot of people repost this on social media. And I think that's where I first like had this moment where I, um, I was just like, wait, hold up, <laughs> hold up. Okay. First of all, like I've been to, to this cathedral in Paris and I remember the, like the experience. I remember walking in and being overwhelmed by its beauty and by the, these massive arches that I thought of being built in the 16th century and wondering how they, like man had the ability to do such majestic things at the time. And I remember feeling a, a, a little bit of like, Ooh, you know, like it was, it was stolen resources that created, created this and, and knowing that that was a real thing. But at the same time, I think of uh, my relatives and the way that we behave on the res, you know, when families that may be our arch nemesis or politically, we have very different opinions when they suffer loss or tragedy, how we will in that moment let that lie and go to the funeral and help start the fire and make fish and cook and be supportive and loving. And I think that we have this uh, traditional knowledge structure that tells us we hold space for one another, especially for prayerful people. And I think that this moment right now, like, you know, 24 hours after the flames have been put out is not really the right moment to begin politicizing and pointing fingers. I mean, can we just give them a moment to mourn, perhaps, before we make it into something that fits within our agenda? Mm, I'm crinkling my face, Matika. <laughs> <laughs> I don't totally agree. I think... So for me, I can totally understand because what we talk about on this podcast are relationships and relationality. And to me, there's a difference between uh, I can support my friends and loved ones who like I have a lot of Pueblo friends and relatives who are are Catholic and that this will be a major loss for them. And I can support them as individuals, as human beings who are are experiencing a loss, while also being heavily critical of the system that Notre Dame represents. And so to me, it's kind of like when we talk about after a mass shooting and people are like, oh, don't politicize it. We need to mourn the victims. But like, when do we talk about gun control, if not immediately after a tragedy? So 
to me, it feels like now is the time because a lot of non-Native folks like, and this is what a lot of the memes are saying to me is that folks are like, this happens to us every week. This happens to us all the time. Like our indigenous sites are just as sacred as Notre Dame and you bulldoze them and you burn them down and you don't think about the implications of that for us. And so notice this feeling that you are feeling when you're seeing this thing burn in front of your eyes and there's nothing you can do, that hopeless, that uh, helpless feeling, that's what we feel. And so to me, it feels like this is a moment to capitalize that on that, to try and get some folks to understand what it feels like to be us when we see our sacred sites destroyed for whatever construction project or pipeline or shopping mall or whatever it is. So I can have I can empathize with the folks who are feeling lost, but the Catholic Church is so powerful. It's one of the most powerful institutions in the world. So us criticizing the Catholic Church in this moment is not hurting anyone in my mind. Hmm. Indigenous Goddess Gang put up a post saying the concern and dismay is being felt by many around the world. Now imagine that the damage to this historic and religious site was caused by a pipeline running through it, by fracking, or due to development. The shock and dismay is the type of feeling indigenous people feel when our lands and sacred sites are damaged and are threatened. And that was a quote from Casey Duma. And, you know, I can relate. You know, I've seen, I think about um, old man house burning and our longhouses burning in the Northwest. And, and I think about those burial sites like the canoe boneyards and the places where we fought really hard to protect, to try to protect the grave sites and the sacred sites in our many of our traditional spaces. And um, and I realize like the importance of those traditional sacred spaces. And that's partly why I have empathy for these people that are mourning, because I know how it the ways it hurts, and I think that if uh, if we politicize the moment, I'm not saying that there isn't room for that conversation, and there should be. But I'm I do believe that that we have this human responsibility to to hold one another when 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 suffering, and in the same way that we want these same colonizers and oppressors to to be mindful of our sacred sites, we them. I, I just don't think that there's any difference. I mean I, I know that I know that there's power structures at play, but I just can't imagine somebody uh, you know, suffering right in front of me. Some their house burning or or them being shot by a gun or, you know, like some sort of crazy tragedy and and not just taking a moment to to care for them. It just, it seems basic to me. And I think, again, I'm not in disagreement that the humans that are suffering should be acknowledged. But I think, to me, to say that Indigenous meme accounts or Indigenous accounts should not be posting these sort of gleeful things in this moment feels in some ways kind of like tone policing, which like 
we're in such positions of marginalization as indigenous people that like, no matter what our response to things, there's always going to be someone who says that it's not the right response that we should be going about it in like a nicer way or a calmer way or a less aggressive way. And we've seen that from the beginning in terms of our resistance to settler colonialism as a whole is it's always like, well, we might listen to you if you were just nicer about it uh, is something that people tell me on the internet all the time. And I don't think that's the case. I think that uh, people just aren't going to listen regardless. And so if we police the way that folks are going about their response to things, I think that doesn't help the situation either. Like people should be allowed to voice their anger and people should be allowed to voice their, their feelings of upset that our sacred sites aren't taken in the same way that we don't get pledges of $300 million within hours that we don't get the same level of recognition uh, or that when the black churches burned in St. Louis, that um, people didn't see that as a similar level of tragedy or something worthy of notice. And so I think that this is a symbol. It's not necessarily about the actual act. Um, For some people, it may be, but it's a symbol that is representative of the power systems at play and whose sites are considered sacred and whose loss is considered real loss. Um, And that's the feeling that is coming out in all of these posts is it's been a long time coming. And this is now a symbol that lets us talk about these feelings that we've had for a very long time. Mm. Yeah. Are you you talking about the seventh district Baptist church fires in St. Landry? The, um, uh, yes. Yeah. The New York times wrote about it. The headline is black churches destroyed by arson. See spike in donations after Notre Dame fire. And, um, the first paragraph says the fire at Notre Dame Cathedral on Monday prompted immediate pledges of millions of euros to help rebuild it. On Tuesday, it spurred donations to do the same for much smaller places of worship thousands of miles away that were recently destroyed by arson. A crowd cunning campaign for three fire ravaged black churches in Louisiana received more than 1.2 million after it was widely shared on social media on Tuesday. Many users noted that while hundreds of millions of euros had already been pledged to rebuild the famous cathedral, the small churches in Louisiana were still struggling. I I find it really... Uh, the crowdfunding campaign is now up to $1.5 million. And um, it's, it's amazing how this is, like, so quickly spiked. I think, what is it, like, maybe Standing Rock raised, like, $2 million total, right, for the whole for the whole situation. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why the oil is flowing through the Dakota Access Pipeline is because there wasn't enough resources up front in the beginning to really truly fight this big, enormous oil company with in, in you know, in, in the, the channels that we have to, which is in court systems, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And even like, I just keep thinking, and I think a lot of people are thinking of the same thing in terms of Standing Rock, where in September of um, the movement, one of the former tribal historic preservation officers um, was granted access to private land, which is adjacent to Standing Rock, and was able to do an informal survey of that land that he had previously not had access to. And that was in the path of the pipeline. 
and identified something over 20 burial sites and potential burial sites and um, a lot more of these archaeological features that he said were some of the most important archaeological findings in the state of North Dakota in hundreds of years. And he presented that information in court um, as a plea to get a temporary stoppage of the pipeline. And after he presented that information, 24 hours later, the Dakota Access Pipeline construction workers went out to that exact area that he had identified on a Saturday of a holiday weekend and bulldozed it. And that was barely a blip in the media coverage of what was going on and like the loss involved in that. Like it makes me choked up to even think about it that like they skipped 15 miles of their construction. Uh, They like were not even close to this site. They brought the bulldozers on the Saturday of a holiday weekend and just bulldozed that spot. So they wouldn't have to face the consequences in court of uh, there being burial and sacred sites there, mm-hmm. and like the loss involved in mm-hmm. that. And yeah, I was there that day. That was that was September third, Labor Day weekend, when they also brought when yeah. they also brought dogs, and many people right. were bit by by the Dakota Access Pipeline's private militia, who I think their dogs bit like over 15 different victims. I myself brought three boys to the hospital that day who all had broken ribs from getting beat up that day. And I I, I remember, yeah, I was there. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's what folks are thinking about when they're seeing this public mourning for a sacred institution, that when we were mourning for a sacred space, we were met with dogs that were attacking people. We were met with bulldozers. Like, I think it's stirring up a lot of those feelings that folks have. I think the conversation is also about invisibility, right? Like in what you're talking about, not just that we were met with dogs and bulldozers and water cannons and massive arrests and felonies, but also that we were met with invisibility, right? Like that, I think that weekend Amy Goodman was there and that aired on Democracy Now! And that Mm -hmm. going on Democracy Now! actually really uh, like made the the movement much larger. It was majorly because of that experience. It did, it it did, it completely. I think the next week, you know, it was like there was a thousand people there and then there was 10,000 people there. So um, the -hmm. media attention really helped and all the media outlets came after that. But... They, there wasn't much runtime, right? Like I remember watching the the live feeds and and watching people being sprayed with water cannons and freezing temperatures, and people getting hypothermia, and looking up at national television hoping that I would see some sort of coverage. I was looking for solidarity amongst strangers, and there was none of that. It just wasn't happening on national on national news, and it's still not happening, right? Because what's happening with the caribou in the Arctic or with Keystone or with line right. three or what's happening yeah. in the Bayou or with Oak flats or with, or, or, or bears ears or Mauna Kea or mm-hmm. Hickory ground or yeah. <laughs> any on, goes and on, on. And on and on. Um, we have, we have Notre Dame's happening all over the place all the time. And so I, I do think that that's just, that's the frustration. That's the voice that is coming out. And I think we both are on the same page in that we both think that there should be 
sympathy and empathy extended to folks who this is their place of worship. This is representative of their, uh, their space of prayer, their sacred space, and that we should be extending the, the hand of understanding and healing to them. I'm in agreement with that. I don't know. I think it's an important time for us to also voice these other stories too, because those are the feelings that are being raised for folks. And I think they should be able to have an outlet to, to voice them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we can't preach decolonization and say that the revolution will be indigenous. And then the very, very next day, you know, laugh at somebody suffering. It just doesn't work that way. Not in my opinion. Uh, I do believe that sacred is sacred and where people are praying, they deserve respect and tolerance is the key. And, you know, I understand people's response, but I also think of my grandma, you know, and, and I think of many of our grandmas who became Catholics willingly or unwillingly. And I think of people like, um, for my res, there's, there's a small Catholic church on our res and, um, there's this man, father Pat. Oh, you've told me stories of father Pat. Mm hmm. And how Father Pat has, you know, will hold space for people. Like when we have funerals, we have the Shaker Church sing and the Siawan people will sing. And sometimes Buddhists will get up and pray. And then like the fourth Adventists will also get up and pray. And and there's space made for everybody to pray uh, when when people would like to and however and whomever. And it's a really beautiful practice that I've never seen um, outside of my traditional territories and and I'm grateful that I was raised with that sort of tolerance and and so I just like to extend my love and respect to the prayerful people that are suffering and um, also tell you know like the stronghold (laughs) the indigenous scholars and thinkers that I understand what you're saying but I also I also hope that that we can also sort of lead the revolution in and showing our traditional teachings and and in our traditional teachings I do believe that tolerance is amongst them so that's my two cents <laughs> I think that's fair I got I got plenty of other thoughts but I also think that we have kind of we just wanted to create this space to sort of think through some of the things and when we realized that we both had slightly differing opinions on what was going on but I do extend my uh, sympathies to folks in Paris and our Catholic uh, relatives in our communities who uh, this is a major loss. Um, But I hope that we can also keep pushing forward the conversations around our own sacred sites as well. Wouldn't it be amazing, though, if this became a pivotal moment where we suddenly raised $200 million for Keystone <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or Line 3 or the Arctic? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in that sense, like, it, this is when you kind of want to, I understand, you want to stand from the mountaintop and say, like, look, protect Bears Ears and Oak Flats and Mauna Kea and all of the, our other sacred sites that that have value and meaning to our people and and one isn't more sacred than the other word (laughs) (laughs) well thank you all for 
tuning in and listening to Matika and I have a conversation from across the country. Uh, we're grateful to to have you listening and tuning in and please share with your friends, like us on iTunes, rate it. That really helps us out. We love you and we'll see you next time. All my relations.